Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study in the Gospel according to John. We're in chapter 6. We've just seen the sign and the miracle of Jesus walking upon the water in verses 15 through 21 of chapter 6. We have come to the great presentation of Jesus the Christ speaking of himself as the bread of life. This is an important teaching, and it goes for about 30 verses, actually almost 40 verses. Beginning at chapter 6, verse 22, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Now, here's where we start. This is the day after the feeding of the multitude, the 5,000 men, plus women and children. This is after the evening has passed, where the storm came up on the water, it was tempestuous, and the disciples were going uh, in their boat uh, to Capernaum, and Jesus met them on the water, walking on the water, got into the boat. They were arrived immediately then at Capernaum. So this is the next day. And the people are standing there in Tiberias saying, where is Jesus? We know his disciples took a boat, but where did he go? What is happening how can we find him? Now, why did they want him? Well, we'll see later in this passage that they were looking for him for the miracles that he did. Throughout the book of John, and throughout the Synoptic Gospels as well, we find that the multitudes come after Christ because of what good things he's been doing and because of what they see he could do for them. If you've got somebody that will feed you, you'll come. That's why when there are meetings with food provided in the churches, that we usually see an uptick in attendance. It doesn't always mean that, but more often than not, it does. You have a homecoming, you have a dinner on the grounds, and you have more folks coming in 
than when you just have the meeting of the church where you're having the spiritual food and no physical meal. Why is that? Human beings are physical in their very depth. We are temporal, we are physical, and oftentimes we think of the physical and we never regard the spiritual. This is human nature. This is humankind. And the only time we think of the spiritual is when there's a death in the family or when there's war on the horizon, when our son or our daughter has been taken into captivity by some distressful situation. Well, those are, or we have some dread disease. We we then have a spiritual awakening, or at least a spiritual nod or two. And that's the way it is with these people. They were, they were following Jesus because of the signs that he did, because of the miracles that he did. But they weren't seeing him as God in the flesh. They were just seeing him as a miracle worker. He was... Somebody special, they just didn't know how special, I suppose. So, here they were in Tiberias. They were looking for Jesus. They couldn't find him. They knew his disciples had gone by boat. They didn't know what had happened to Jesus. And so they got some ships, some boats, and they went across the straight line of the Sea of Galilee and made it over to Capernaum. I think it's interesting there at the last phrase, in verse 24, they had come to Capernaum, and then it says, seeking for Jesus. I wish it were the case that people came to the buildings where the churches congregate, that they might see Jesus, that they might seek him. That's the reason folks used to come to church. Today, they come for the bread and circuses sometimes. Sometimes they come because family goes there. Sometimes it's because that's what they've always done, and they wouldn't want to break with tradition. Tradition is a very strong draw from uh, uh, times of antiquity to now when it comes to people's spiritual concerns. But they were seeking for Jesus, and I wish that were so in all of our services, that people would come and seek for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you come over here? We saw you go up into the side of that hill, into the mountain. We saw you go up there for solitude and for prayer. We saw your disciples take the only boat that was available last night. And yet you're here. How did you get here? Now, oftentimes I think we are 
centering our lives upon the superfluous. I think often we ask the wrong questions. They were asking Jesus, how did you get here? When did you come here? What time did you arrive? One of those simple and yet somewhat silly questions to ask God himself. Before you were, I am would have been a good answer, but that wasn't what he had to say. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. I suppose this puts the capstone on the argument of why they were seeking Jesus. You don't have to ask twice why were they seeking Jesus. You know. They were looking at the signs. They were looking at the miracles. They wanted those miracles again. They wanted to be filled with the food. They wanted to have the blessing of being with this special person. And they wanted the physical. Again, it's just as we've said, oftentimes we leave the spiritual component out and we go for the physical because we are so mundane in our everyday thinking that we think only of the temporal, only of the physical, and not for the spiritual. This is what Jesus told him. He said, Labor not for the meat or the meals or the food which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Verse 27, let's dissect a little bit here before we move on. Don't work for that which is temporal. Don't spend your time, your effort, your energy for those things which will fail you, which will have to be replaced, which will not last. This is what the unbelievers do. They gather as much money as possible and then they die. They gather as many toys as possible and then they die. They gather as much of whatever it is that they see as important in this life and then they leave this life behind. It happens to everyone. It's appointed unto man and woman to die one time once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, let me assure you that I have preached a number of funerals, I have attended many more, and I have never seen anything akin to a trailer taking the world's goods of someone into glory or into damnation upon their demise. It does not happen. They may think it will, but it won't. I remember when I was a youngster growing up in a certain portion of this great nation, in the mountains of northeast Tennessee, the foothills of the Smokies, if you will, the foothills of the Appalachians, 
and in that time there was an individual who owned much of the real estate of the little community where we lived. And it was a little community. It wasn't anything to brag about, speak of, really. It was a wonderful place to, to grow up. A lot of friends there, now gone on to glory, many of them. A lot of good Christian people. It was a good community because there were Christian people there. They loved the Lord, and they watched out for one another, and they, they edified one another. They exhorted one another to stay on for the truth, to go forward for Christ. But in that little community, there was a gentleman who owned much of the property. And it was said, "Don't I don't want to be here when so-and-so dies. And I was a little kid. I was listening to these adults talking. And one adult had made that statement, I don't want to be here when the individual he named dies. And the other adult said, well, why not? He said, because he thinks he's going to take everything with him, and there'll be nothing here to stand on. All of the earth was going to just disappear, because when he died, he'd take it with him. Well, I can assure you, he did pass away. And I can also assure you that the land is still there many decades past his demise. And we could talk uh, at length about how he was renowned for his penury. We could talk about those kinds of things, but I can't tell you of his spiritual condition. No one knew that. Or if they knew it, they never spoke of it. But he didn't take anything with him. Neither will you, my friend. So don't labor for that which perisheth. Don't labor for that which is temporal, which is immediate, which is only in this life. You're always going to need to have another meal. Jesus Christ is saying, don't labor for that. Labor for the spiritual things, and the food comes as part of the package. The physical food comes as part of the package. He says, labor for that which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man, that is, Jesus Christ himself, shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now they're going to keep asking questions, but let's stop at this one. It's a signpost along the way. What do we need to do to be able to do God's work? Implying as if God must have us do some physical thing so that his work goes forward on this earth. That's the implication. Jesus did not say you must work harder, you must pass out more tracts, 
you must uh, go to the synagogue and witness of me. Uh, You must feed the hungry. You must clothe the poor. Jesus didn't say that at this point. What he said was, if you want to do the work of God, the first thing you have to do, the work that God would have you to do, and the most important job that faces you, if you want to see it as such, is that you should believe on him whom God hath sent. In other words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can go back to chapter 3. We can go back to Nicodemus and the, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus himself. Ye must be born again. And we see here Jesus saying, This is the work of God that you would believe on me because I've been sent by God. That's the basis, my friend. If you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ, there is no work of God to be done by you. You can have the greatest ideals. You can be the most magnanimous person in the world. You can be the the, uh, most wonderful philanthropist giving away everything that you have, and you might be a billionaire giving away your money. But... Unless you know Jesus Christ, the one that God sent to this earth to be your Savior, unless you know him, none of the other things matter. There is no great work of God without having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So how can we do the works of God? Well, the thing you need to do is you need to believe on Jesus Christ. And that's the message from the Lord here. This is the work of God. We always think that the work of God has got to be some showy thing. It's got to be some special fancy thing. That's not true. That's not true at all. In fact, some of the most important things I have seen done for the Lord have been done in such a fashion that folks may not even ever be aware that they've been done. That is, folks on the outside. Now, those to whom it's been done and those for whom it's been done know that it's been done. They may not realize the details of it, but they know it's been done. But it was done quietly, and it was done by faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 30, they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now, before they go any further, let me say this. This is quite incredulous, isn't it? Here they were just fed. The day before, 5,000 people were fed by three fish and five barley loaves. 5,000 people fed. Now, we've had some big feeds uh, in our family. We fed um, upwards of 100 folks at our house. And my wife and I have, and primarily my wife, of course, has worked hard. We've had to go buy a lot of groceries for people like that if we were having a, a group in. 
But let me tell you what, that was nothing to the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And Jesus Christ did it with three little sardines and five biscuits. I mean, that's basically what it was. And yet we, to feed even a hundred people, we were hard-pressed to get enough stuff together. You put a little water in the soup, right? Water it down a little bit. That's not what Christ did. Christ took what scant things were available and made it into a feast. He takes what little bit you have in your life, whatever it is, even if it's negative, and he uses it for his glory and for your good every day when you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the postal service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.